I welcome Fran back to the stage. She's going to talk about infant states and cues. Thank you. So let's do something a little different, but it all kind of fits together, so we'll just go with this. So um, I don't know how much you know about this one. Do you know much about infant states of consciousness and cues? Yeah? Good. Okay. So we'll just whip through it. All right. So I, I put a gum nut baby up there this time because we, we sort of old-fashioned, had an old-fashioned poster of gum nut babies. Um, right back in the 30s that Mae Gibbs did, so I thought I'd have a gumnut baby. Oh, oh, where did these blank slides come from? All right, so, infant states are also known as states of consciousness, so that's why we sometimes refer to them as that. So infant states, as, uh, as an, a definition, are a distinct group of physiological and behavioural characteristics that all babies show. Um, and we, we mostly look for them in babies. As adults, we sort of have states of consciousness too, but they're not as obvious in us as, as they are in infants. So we use them in babies because they're a really good way of, of telling what the baby's doing, as well as their cues. So these are the sorts of things we look for because there's characteristic behaviours and there's physiological changes that go along with infant states. So these are the sorts of things that the behaviours that we look at. There's um, facial movements. I can't see. Eye movements, body activity, response to external and internal stimuli and their breathing patterns. So with breathing patterns, that's, you know, you have your respiratory system, which is, you don't do anything about that because that's just all happening for yourself. But there are particular behavioural breathing patterns that happen. And of course, physiological changes that happen with state are heart rate, muscle tone, the EEG and blood flow. And these are all happening for the baby in each particular state that occurs. And you see that particularly with, within the sleep states too. So what defines a state? Uh, they are relatively stable, they're predictable, and they're organised. State, to, to call it a state, it must persist for several minutes without interruption and recur on a regular basis. And they're influenced by internal and external conditions. So that's how we can gauge an infant's, what an infant's doing. And these are really good ways to enable a parent to understand what their baby's doing. And state's really important to caregiving. This is what influences infant state. Of course, hunger and pain, fear, fatigue and comforting. And the external uh, influences are handling, lights, Lights particularly affect sleep states, temperature, positioning, and noise. So it all, you know, it's not rocket science. So these are the six infant state, states that we accept now. 
Um, there, we used to say there was five, and some people still don't include drowsy, but we do. So we have quiet and active sleep as the two sleep states. We have the transitional state, which is drowsy, and we have the awake states, which is active, alert, quiet, alert, and crying. So those are the ones that we all need to think about. Okay, so let's just look at them a little bit more closely. So this is quiet sleep. So in quiet sleep, and we've got here a nice description that it's restorative and anabolic, and it's associated with increased cell mitosis and replication. We have lowered oxygen consumption and the release of the growth hormone. Quiet sleep's really important. So sensory threshold is very high during quiet sleep. Um, and the baby has to have a lot of stimuli to be, to be disturbed in this sleep state. So they're generally unresponsive and difficult to awaken. Feeding will be frustrated and usually unsuccessful in this sleep state. So the body activity is there nearly still except for occasional startle or a twitch. They don't have any eye movements in this sleep state and they might just occasionally um, suck at regular intervals. Their breathing pattern is smooth and regular. And as I said, the threshold to stimuli is very high. So they can, and this is what you, they call habituation. So even if they do hear a noise, they'll get used to it very quickly in this sleep state. Now, you do too. We all do in this sleep state. You know how... Um, if you, people live near train stations or, and the, the trains go by and, we, and you get used to it, that's, you habituate to those noises so you can sleep through them. Same with, um, say, well, we, at home we have a cuckoo clock. And I don't hear that cuckoo clock at all. We've hab hab habituated to the cuckoo clock. However, sometimes I do hear it and it would be because I'm not in a in a in a uh, what's called a deep sleep state. I'm in a, in a lighter sleep state, or an active sleep, or even a transitional sleep state. So it depends where you are in sleep. So if a caregiver tries to feed in this sleep state, it will be frustrating because the baby will occasionally have a suck sucking movement, they may occasionally have a, a, a tiny suck, but this is the dream feed thing, that if fed in this state, it won't be a feed, it will just be a tiny suck suck. So also, the feeding in this sleep state, and also in the next sleep state, is not a feed, because the baby's not showing hunger cues. So the next sleep state we have is active sleep. This is um, process. This is associated with memory and processing and storing of information, and is linked to learning. I'll talk a little bit more about memory in a bit, um, and accounts for the highest proportion of newborn sleep, and usually precedes wakening. So in this sleep state, babies are less difficult to awaken. And parents often do think the baby is awake and they may try to feed the baby in this sleep state. So we have in the sleep state some body movements. 
There is rapid eye movement here and fluttering of the eyes beneath the lids. Baby may smile and make brief or fussy crying sounds. The breathing pattern is irregular in this sleep state. They're more responsive to internal stimuli. So that's, you know, if it's hunger or, or bowel movements or anything. Anything in this, they're much more responsive to what's going on inside their body. And also handling. Um, so if, if there is some internal stimuli, they may return to quiet sleep if left alone, or they may wake up. It, this is, and I'll, we'll talk more about that as we're going along. Um, so, but this is the sleep state where the parent may well interrupt the sleep cycle by looking at the baby, by seeing that they're moving, they're twitching, they might be messing around a little bit, squeaking a bit, and may interrupt the cycle and handle them too much. And, well, you know what happens. Well, if you're at Tresillian, you know what happens. So they wake them up. And this is where we can get some um, problems, well, with, uh, well, this is where sleep problems can start to occur because of interrupting them in the active sleep state and feeding them in the active sleep state. Though feeding may not be very successful in this sleep state either. Next we move to the drowsy state. So from this state, infants may return back to sleep if left alone or awaken further. So that's why it's called a transitional state. It's the state between the sleep state, the two, the active, quiet, up to drowsy, back in. So it's difficult to tell if they're awake or asleep. They do go to sleep more easily in the drowsy state, but they're also woken more easily. And, but drowsy babies need to be brought to the awake state before feeding. So we can see if they're actually hungry, because they need to show that they're hungry. That's fair. We, it's really important. So one of the, the problems with feeding the baby in a drowsy state or an active sleep state is that they, they may not be hungry and we may be overriding hunger cues. And so we, one, one of the things that we're now studying is the fact if you override hunger cues or you're not recognising hunger cues, it may lead to obesity. And that may be one of the things that may be happening as well, is that what it starts to do is it leads, um, it leads kids to not recognise when they're hungry because we've never actually um, enabled them to, to feed when they are hungry because we're feeding them all over the place. So that's what we call cue-based care. So what we have here in the drowsy state is variable activity level. So they can be mild startles interspersed time to time. So movements are generally smooth in this state. Um, have some facial movements. Some face appears still. Um, breathing pattern irregular. Infants do react to the outside world. Um, sometimes their spot responses are delayed. They can go to active alert, to quiet alert, or crying after some stimulation. Um, if we want to awaken the infants, you give them something to see or something to hear, you give them something to suck. Anyway, you bring them to a more alert state by 
by doing something that's more active and 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 um, um, uh, what's the word I want? Doesn't matter. You just bring them to a more alert state by doing something that's um, more active and interesting. But if you leave them alone, they may go back to sleep. Okay, what are we up to? So here we have quiet alert. And this is when they're most attentive to their environment. This is where they focus their attention on any stimuli that's present. So that's, you know, the breast, the voice, the face, moving objects. And this is the best time for talking and holding, gazing and feeding. Um, they're most attentive and focused on the environment. And this is the best time for the caregiver to play and learn. So there's minimal body activity. This is when eyes are wide and bright. This is regular breathing. Um, and during this state, the infants are most attentive to the environment and focusing their attention. So this, for caregiving in this uh, state, in the first few weeks, the infants aren't in this state very much or for very long. And it's mostly while they're awake. So it's really important for feeds to be sociable and parents to focus in on feeding because they don't want to look at their phones. And so it's really important that, it's, that parents are, are aware that this is the time when babies need to be socialised with. Um, but as they become older and they, and they require less sleep, they'll spend more time in the alert state. But this is when they're most sociable more available for learning, more available for play. So we've got this picture. Jeez, this thing. We've got that picture again. Now, this is the cue cards I was talking about before. And what we call this, of course, is mutual gaze. And what this baby's doing is engaging and saying, I'm really interested. And it's a very strong message. And, and we... We use these cue cards, and I actually meant to bring them, and I forgot. I'm so sorry. Um, but they're, they're a packet of cards that we use with the caregiver to help them learn to read and understand their baby's cues, um, nonverbal cues. And it helps the caregiver to understand how much and why their baby, in ways that their babies uh, communicate effectively with them. Because sometimes they don't recognise that their baby's speaking to them in, in non-verbal ways. This is active alert. Now, in active alert, the baby's eyes are open, but their faces aren't bright and alert like that other baby. Um, they have more body activity than they do in quiet alert, but they're very sensitive to stimuli, and they're in, they usually get increasingly fussy. And this usually means they need a change. They might be hungry, they might be tired, they don't, might not want to be handled. Something is just happening that's saying, I need a change. They, and in this state, they're usually very difficult to interact with. And if a parent tries to play with them in this state, they can often just get grumpier and tighter and, and, and they're not a very good social partner. And they are more likely to feed in this state because if they're hungry, then they're likely to feed. So they may startle in this state, they, though their movements usually are smooth. Um, they have, you know, lots of facial movements and they could be grimacing or yawning or, or any type of, of movement. 
They're very uh, reactive to sensory stimuli. So, and as I said, handling can be one of them. They may not want to be handled. Um, and they can change states quite quickly from very, um, uh, from active alert to crying. But if they're handled and soothed and they may go back to quiet alert or they may just cry and they may, if they're handled, they may go to a drowsy state and then to a sleep state. So when babies are in this state, the caregiver needs to understand that they, they're looking for a change of some sort and it may be that they need to be fed, they need to be changed, they need, there's something going on. So um, we need to help them be flexible in how they provide the care. So this is going back to that cue-based care of about being flexible. What is it do they need? If they're saying, help, my attachment system's activated, I'm, gr I'm getting grumpy and upset, no, not the time to play. Something else is happening. It's a change. Is he hungry? Is he this? Is he that? So there's a, there's a card, again, a cue card, and this is a, what's called a cling posture, and we call this a disengagement cue that says, I need a break. So we would help a parent understand from this cue that they're disengaging and saying very clearly, not interested, need a break, something's going on, I, you know, I'm either I'm done with playing, I'm, I'm fed up, I'm getting hungry, I'm getting tired. Um, whatever's going on for me right now, this is not the time for me to play. I need you to do something. Help me out here. So see, eyes are looking down, almost coming into a pout, arms are flung back. So I don't, I'm not reaching for you right now. I'm not giving you an attachment signal to pick me up, hold me. I'm pulling my arms back and, and going, you know what, don't want it. That kind of look, don't do it. So, he's, so she's giving very clear nonverbal cues that, you know what, I need something, don't know what, I need you to help me out here. Did I just jump over? So then we have, of course, our crying state, which of course is a strong cue that the baby's distressed, and limits have been reached. Signals the baby needs help and consoling. So it's the infant state presents the greatest challenge to the caregiver, doesn't it? So we've talked all about this all morning, and it's characterised by intense crying for at least 15 seconds. So, of course, we all know what crying looks like. Colour changes, um, eyes tightly closed, or even wide open. Um, baby grimaces. And they're extremely responsive to unpleasant external or internal uh, stimuli. So it's a communication signal that expresses help. Pick me up, do something to make me feel better. And we help the caregiver figure that out. So infant state functions as a way to maintain equilibrium. Physiological equilibrium and in some cases emotional equilibrium, and the, it's a way the infant communicates need, as well as nonverbal cues. And you can see it all kind of fits together. The baby regulates stimulation by changing state. So in active alert, he's saying, done, had enough, 
So he might have been in quiet alert, been engaged, been you know, playing and having a lovely time, having a chat, a social time, and suddenly it's kind of like done. Don't need this anymore. I'm overwhelmed, had enough of this, and moved into an active alert state to say, I need a change now. I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm, I'm over it. You're playing too much with me now. The game's too busy, too, too rough. Stop it. And does the active alert stuff. Or if it's tired, then maybe moving, if you pick him up, move to a drowsy state and saying, I'm tired now. So they may stick stimulation by becoming alert or reduce it by crying and becoming drowsy. So their state and state changes provide clues to the caregiver about what type of care the baby needs. So it's communication. The state also provides feedback regarding the caregiver-baby interactions. So if the caregiver gets too, too overwhelming with regard to, say, in a, a, a quiet alert state, and they're having a good game, but the baby gets a bit overwhelmed and the baby looks down or looks away and needs to take a break, but the caregiver keeps going and engages and, you know, come on, come on, let's keep going, this game's great, and the baby goes, ugh, no, it's too much for me, I need to stop. That's, that's the signal. The signal's saying, I can't, this is too much, too much. So the nonverbal cues and then into an active alert state is giving clear, clear messages that's saying, no, we've gone too far. This game's done, I'm over, I'm moving out of this one and I'm moving somewhere else now. And, and I need a change. I, I, this, I'm hungry or whatever. So it's the baby gives good, clear feedback about what's going on. Maybe if the caregiver just lets the baby take a little break, moves, picks the baby up, soothes and calms, the baby will shift back to, an act, to a quiet alert state and they can pick up the game from where they left off. Or maybe the baby's just ready for a, a, a cuddle and some, maybe some lullabies or something like that. Knows, I don't know, but that's that's the whole thing about this. It's about reading cues and state, so you, the caregiver can provide what the baby needs. So state is one of the main ways a baby has of communicating their needs. So the infant's differing reaction in each recurring sleep-wake state have a strong effect on how we respond to social interactions with his caregiver. So you can imagine, and if we come back now to our secure caregiver, may well be well attuned to all these uh, states of consciousness and cues, and may be sensitive to it, work with it, and so they have their back and forward, so it's a well attuned interaction, just unconsciously able to attune into those interactions. Whereas you may have an insecure caregiver who just overrides those cues and those states of consciousness and the baby gets overwhelmed and moves into a crying state and is completely overwhelmed. And so then there has to be soothed and comforted. Their, their attachment system says, hey, stop, 
I can't do this with you anymore. Now you've got to help me. you really got to help me. Come and get me. Protect me. Soothe me. Help me. What happens then? So we've got, that's why this is all so linked and intertwined with each other. So the organisation of the infant's sleep-wake states is the most important developmental tasks of infancy. Quiet and active sleep alternated in a set pattern. So active, quiet and active sleep. That's how it goes. So these episodes of quiet sleep and active sleep alternate for about 50 to 60 minutes. And this is generally what we know as a sleep cycle. So that's, we all know that. So between each sleep cycle is generally that transitional state, which is the drowsy state. So baby goes active, quiet, active, drowsy. And then after that, the baby may return to another sleep cycle from the drowsy state or arouse to an awake state. So here's a little graph. Now what that's telling us, and it's got this great name, and I don't know why researchers do this stuff, the temporal organisation of the infant caretaker coordination really just means the timing of what they do together when the caregiver's looking after the baby. So what we see there is a sleep cycle of active sleep, quiet sleep, active sleep. And then a major shift to drowsy. So there's the time of awakening. And that's where the caregiver does something. So that time of awakening for the baby could be two minutes. And the baby may just look around the room, open his eyes in a drowsy state, look at the mobile over the bed, <laughs> if there is one, or just you know, glaze, with glazed eyes do something, suck hands, do some, something self-soothing for himself, close his eyes, shift through his drowsy state and back to active sleep, quiet sleep, active sleep. What does the caregiver do? totally unaware that her baby's able to uh, self-soothe, totally unaware that the baby's moved into a drowsy shift, shifted into a drowsy state, and does absolutely nothing. Then we have another infant who shifts into a drowsy state, and in those two minutes, squeaks and squawks and doesn't know how to do any sort of self-soothing on their own. And the caregiver hears the squeak and the squawk and goes into the baby because the baby's doing something and it's the baby must be awake or the baby's um, lonely or the baby's can't let the baby cry or for whatever reason. And she does something. She pats or picks the baby up or the baby's hungry or she rocks or she does something. does some active soothing. So whatever she does, whether the baby then is, self, is put back to sleep by the caregiver and the baby returns back to another active, quiet, active cycle and has another 50 minutes, or she awakens the baby completely by overhandling, or she feeds, 
that's what happens in that activity. And so she either interrupts two chained sleep cycles or the baby wakes fully from that drowsy state and wants a feed and it goes through a feed play sleep cycle. So that's what that is. That's what it all looks like. So active sleep is a critical component of the fetus and neonate sleep cycle. And it's associated with the development of the sensory systems. So th there's nine sensory systems. It's touch, motion, position, smell and taste, hearing, vision, emotion, social learning and memory. So I've just put a few there, but they're the nine systems. So active sleep is a period of maximal brain activity. And it's really important. So at 28 to 30 weeks gestational age, most of the sleep cycle is active sleep. And it plays a dynamic role in brain development. It's absolutely essential. And during the early weeks, a baby spends equal time in quiet, and act, in quiet sleep and active sleep. So at first, the baby does spend more time in quiet sleep because the baby is not awake en enough. So it has to have that much active sleep because it, it's not getting enough awake stimulation stimulation during its awake times. So it needs to have lots of dreaming sleep. That doesn't mean you wake the baby up and give it more social time. It doesn't work like that. The baby needs it, the amount of sleep that, it, that biologically is biologically determined. So during early weeks, I've done that. So from three months onwards, active sleep and quiet sleep continue to mature. And sleep cycles remain at about 50 to 60 minutes long. But the amount of active sleep declines in proportion to the baby's wakefulness. So quiet sleep remains the same, but active sleep starts to diminish. But it diminishes in the daytime when the social time is happening. So by eight to nine months, the sleep cycle is about 80% quiet sleep and about 20% active sleep. And so from four, three to four months, quiet sleep dominates the sleep cycles at the beginning of the night. So that's why they get longer sleeps in the beginning of the night and, and um, less in the, in the early hours of the morning. So sorry, mothers everywhere. <laughs> so... That's how it works, and that all, it works for us all. We have more active sleep or dreaming sleep, non-REM uh, sleep in the morning hours. Just seems to be human being. Active sleep dominates the cycles in the last third of the night or the early hours of the morning, and quiet sleep dominates day sleeps from three to four months, especially during morning naps. So the baby doesn't need as much quiet sleep in the uh, active sleep in the daytime. So learning and long-term memory are created in three phases. So short-term memories are processed to long-term memory through, through complete cycles of wakefulness, quiet sleep and active sleep. So what happens is we have, a, we have an experience in the daytime, so we might, you know, 
um, have an event. So you're here today. You're doing this. You, you're sitting here. You're learning about stuff. You're listening. And what you'll do is it's all there in your short-term memory. And what you'll go, do, go home and do tonight is you'll go to sleep and you'll go into a non-REM sleep, a quiet sleep. And what happens is that your, your hippocampus will talk to this bit of your brain and all these electrical circuits will send this short-term memory stuff down to your hippocampus and it'll put it all down there and sort it all out down there. And then you'll go into an active dreaming sleep and when you get to that bit, it'll send it all back up to your cortex and it'll deposit it in all sorts of different places in your cortex. And that'll be your memories all deposited into long-term memory. And so you needed the full sleep cycle to do it. So sleep deprivation interferes with the acquisition of long-term memory because it all has to happen, that's how it works. So it's really important for infants to have a proper, um, proper sleep. So the protection and the maintenance of the baby's sleep-wake cycles is vital to building their sensory systems, learning and memory. So recognising and understanding behaviours associated with each infant state can guide caregiving. So it's really important that we um, help our parents understand the developmental trends of sleep. And I can't go through the whole, what, everything about sleep because this is not a sleep workshop. So state can help smooth transitions between states. So what we can do is help parents understand that by soothing crying, by getting a baby you know, to calm down and to be soothed and, and um, helped and protected and all the rest of it, we can soothe them down to, say, an active alert state or a crying state. I mean, um, a, a quiet alert state or even to a drowsy state and um, to sleep. So we can bring them down. So when we... Um, what we say is, if you want to soothe the baby, it's repetition to soothe. So, you know, if, you know, when something's really repetitive and it's on and on and on, I hope that's not me. <laughs> repetition to soothe. So if it's repetitive and it's quiet and it's, you know, gentle, it's soothing, it's relaxing. So that kind of... Um, rigorous act of bouncing, 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 kind of soothing is actually not going to do anything. That's more um, activity to awaken. That's how you awaken someone, isn't it? So that kind of rocking to sleep doesn't actually work. So help avoid overstimulation and intrusive caregiving, so playing in the active alert state. So when, as we were talking about before, active alert means I need a break, Back off, do something, help me, pick me up, rock me, maybe I'm hungry, maybe I'm tired, maybe do something, help me, do something. And enable the baby to maintain full sleep cycles without interruption. 
So that means don't try to feed a baby an active sleep. That, you know, nobody wants to be woken up and given, you know, their dinner. Everybody always says to me, yes, please, I will. But you don't really. I don't really. Well, unless it's chocolate, then maybe I'll come at that. Or one of those cakes. Have you been over to that coffee shop? Because there's all these really good cakes over there. I'll come at that. So teaching caregivers to observe for tired signs. Okay, slide. Oh, did it again. I'm not very good at this. So what we do, now we all do this because this is our, this is our business, is we, observe, we teach our caregivers to observe for tired signs to avoid having an overtired baby. So that's everyday practice. We, we all do that, and that's really important for us. But one of the difficulties we find is that caregivers who have interaction difficulties, and these are all the ones that we've been talking about today, may, or may not always get this one right. So, we, and we all know, we all get it now, that they, they don't read signs very well. They misinterpret their babies totally. So they could confuse tired signs with the other infant nonverbal cues of communication. So we saw a whole lot of cues, didn't we? So that baby that was doing this was really just saying back off or give me a change or do something because whatever's going on right now just wasn't working for me. Not necessarily tired, we don't know. So what we, what we know is that the caregiver may overlook their baby's state of consciousness and individual sleep needs. So the baby is put to sleep via external sleep cues rather than what infant state they're in. So it could be in the active alert state and we just be popped into bed rather than figuring it out, okay, well, well maybe he's hungry, maybe he's this, maybe he's this, maybe he's that. So I'm just gonna show you a little, a little cue card. And what, what do you think is going on for that baby? Looks tired, looks a bit drowsy, yeah? So, so when you just look at a baby like that, with any number of things we could be thinking, don't know. But what we know with this cue card is that we, this is a clustering of what we call clustering of cues. And we, this is a clustering of satiation cues. So this baby's just been fed. And he's saying, or she's saying, I've, I'm full. I've had enough. I'm done. So, you know when you push yourself away from the table after a meal and you're full and you had enough and, you know, you might sit back in the chair and your arms are extended, you know, down the side and, and you have a, you know, facial expression that's relaxed. Um, so this baby's been at the end of a feed. And so how many times do you see a baby like this at the end of a feed? So this baby's in a satiated state, and yes, the baby looks like they might be asleep or in a drowsy state. So we, we're not quite sure, really, if they're just totally satiated or if they're in a drowsy state. So it's, 
we don't know where this baby's at, so whether we should sit the baby up and see if they're truly asleep or whether we should just hold the baby to see if they're ready to, to, to go to sleep. But when you're working with a parent and you, you want to... You, you really want to know whether they want this baby to fall asleep in arms or not, <laughs> and it's a sleep association or not. It's, it's really important to think about what you would, would like them to be able to do with the baby, yeah? Is this a sleep state or is it a drowsy state or is it just a hunger cue, satiation cue state, if you get what I mean? So there's so many things to consider when we look at what's going on for that baby. So I've just been fed. There's a, there, might be, there might be a few things going on there that we need to think about. So sometimes it might be good just to go, you know what, maybe we just need to give this baby a sit-up and see if the baby comes back to an alert state. And, and when the baby's drowsy, put the baby to bed drowsy. Same with this one. Knuckling eyes, certainly a tired sign, but often we need to look at it in, in terms of what state of consciousness the little one's in as well. So it could be just a state saying, you know what, I just, I just need a change. You know, we all do it, we all rub our eyes. Doesn't necessarily need we need to go to bed. We're just knuckling our eyes. Generally, it means we're having a break or it means we're just looking down or looking away or um, we're just doing whatever we're doing. So it's the same with kids. Certainly, that one's clear. But you know what? Does anybody yawn just for the hell of it? You know, it just happens. Yeah? So do babies. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're ready for bed. Sometimes we just yawn as a down regulation, as a, as, a, as a physiological regulatory action. And we just do it, we just yawn. So babies are the same. It's just a subtle message of, I'm just taking a break here right now, I'm regulating myself. So it needs to be in concert with a state, a state of consciousness. Same with this one. We call that a self-clasp. And looks, the baby's looking away, looking a bit, you know, dull eyes, you know, a bit dull, holding on to, the, on to their self. Same again. It could be the baby's getting tired, could be looking away because they're tired. But what state is consciousness is this baby in? What do they look like? Where are they at? Does that baby look drowsy? Just looks like they're taking a break. Ah, this guy. <laughs> so we would say that's also a disengagement cue. And if we watched him, we would sort of say, well, where's he going with that look? And with that dummy there, he looks very happy. So we, we would put it all together and say, what's going on? But we need a state of consciousness to add into it. 
But you know what toddlers do? You know, sometimes they pick up their blankie and their dummy and they take themselves off to the couch and they sit there looking all tired and sleepy and then suddenly they're all active again and they're all 100 miles an hour, so maybe just taking a break. And then we have Mr. Looking Away. And maybe he's just had enough of that game for a minute. And maybe she's too close to him because she's right in next to him in his space. So there's a cue that says, you know, I'm looking away, I'm having a break from you, um, and he's got his foot up, but he's really looking away. So that cue may be just saying, you know what, you're too close, get out of my space. Okay, so what we know with cues is that they usually cluster together to say, I'm tired. So we all know that. We all look for sleep cues in that way that say, here, you know, he's got all these cues, he's, I'm tired. But they usually accompany a state. So let's think about drowsiness. Are you, do you all feel drowsy when you go to bed? Tired, maybe, bit act, maybe even active alert sometimes. You know, you're a bit grumpy and, you know, I'm ready for a change. Thanks. Stop talking to me. Need to brush my teeth. I need to do something because I've had enough of this TV show. Hate it. Yeah, so there's some state change going on that says to us, I'm ready for bed. There's some, something, usually when we're, when we're in a quiet alert state, we're busy socialising or doing something like that. But often before we go to sleep, we're drowsy. We like drowsiness to go to sleep. So we know with drowsy that infants may return to sleep or awaken further. So it's a good time to put a baby to sleep and catch them. So, you know, they go to sleep more easily, but they're also woken more easily. So this is a nice time to catch them and put them to bed. Much more easily put to sleep. So if we can help a parent understand infant states and communication, they're much less likely to misinterpret tired signs. Infant states are so important as a way of, of, of helping them understand infant communication. So recognising... Oops. Recognising um, drowsiness and tired cues may lead to more success at bedtime. If you're drowsy, if you... If you uh, so if you've got a, a kid that's in a, maybe an active alert state, and you can bring them down, you can, you know, do a, a soothing bedtime routine, you know, bath and, and, and bring them down out of that state. So that's called, you know, um, what's called state modulation. So you do something soothing and calming. And so repetition to soothe, so, you know, a calming bath, soothing lullaby, dimming the lights, into their bedroom, a story or whatever. You do all of these calming, soothing, and bring down their state to a soothing state. Then you see, you see all this stuff happening. They can be less confused about when their baby needs to go to bed. It's really important for them to get the whole notion of bringing, modulating their state down 
but recognising state for what it is. That, you know, an, an, uh, they're not going to be able to put their baby to sleep in certain states, especially crying state. Who's going to go to sleep when they're crying? So understanding infant sleep-wake states enables you to provide parents education and support about their baby's behaviour. It may lead to more success at bedtime and they'll be less confused about going to sleep. Um, enables you to provide education and support their baby's state behaviour and it enables parents to better interpret and organise the way they care for him, ensuring more enjoyable interactions, which is the whole point of all of this anyway, isn't it? So that's really all I have to say about this. I'm just going to you know, plug Tresillian now. Um, there's, this is the workshops that we have for the rest of the year. Um, we have what's one called Promoting Maternal Mental Health During Pregnancy, which is what it says. Um, we have an infant feeding workshop. We have the infant mental health workshop, which is essentially what I did today. That's kind of like a whole day of it. Um, we have the Parent-Child Relationship Program, which is a six-day program, which is um, about an assessment tool that we use at Tresillian uh, about observing the parent-child feeding and, teach and teaching interaction. Um, we have a sleep and settling workshop, which is, well, it's a full day workshop about um, sleep and settling, sleep development. Um, keys to caregiving is basically what uh, this was this is a, a, what this was about today, except in keys to caregiving we do states of consciousness, infant cues, state modulation, infant behaviour and the feeding interaction. And of course we always do family partnership. And if you want to go to any of our workshops, that's our website and that's how you uh, register for them. You just go there, tresillian.org health professionals. And that's our book. With, and lots of the information um, about, well, all the information is in there about sleep. And that's that. <laughs>